Hey guys, it's Jason Webb. This is the show that highlights local business leaders and the movers and shakers of Minnesota. Welcome to Minnesota Made. What's up, Minnesota? It's Jason Webb. I am at LS Black, located in St. Paul, Minnesota. Across from me is Brandon Davis, the VP on the federal side. Is that correct, Brandon? That is correct. Thanks for joining me. And the lovely Melanie is co-hosting again today. How are you doing, Melanie? I'm great. How are you, Jason? I'm good. So uh, we did a little tour of the office here. And uh, like I said, right before I jumped on the mic, I thought, yeah, tour of an office building. Whoop, whoop. No big deal. But I was wrong. <laughs> Once again, I was wrong. So it appears to be like a really cool place to work. We got a Nintendo. We got uh, a kegerator. We got some trophies for upcoming tournaments. What, what was the tournaments? A fishing fishing contest or fishing something? Fishing and big buck tournaments. Yep. Big buck. The the, the video game big buck or like a, an actual no, deer hunting? Actual deer hunting. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that right. one's, there's a lot of pride involved with that one. Yeah. For sure. I imagine so. This is whitetail country. Yeah. 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 And uh, so, L.S. Black. And the word after it, if you look it up online, is constructors. Not construction, it's constructors. And uh, you guys are, it seems like, excuse my French, you're really kind of kicking ass these last 10 years or so. There's been a lot of growth. Sounds like uh, Junior Sterling bought the business from his father, who started the business a while back, it's been a lot of growth, man. And yeah. I don't know what do you, what do you contribute that to? I know you've been here for about four years, Brandon, and uh, you, you you weren't here under the previous ownership, but uh, I'm sure you have a good pulse on it. And what's happened? What's happened in these last ten years, man? So I would say that uh, it's primarily our CEO's vision, Sterling Black's vision of of what he wanted this uh, this company to become. Yeah. Um, in in the grand scheme and long term, uh, you know, portion of his of his career, um, you know, add to that our COO Jim French, who is um, our 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 integrator as well, and um, just you know their their passion to to make this company grow, hire the right people, put the right persons in the right seats, have a clear understanding of what our vision looks like and communicate that to everyone so that we're all steering this ship in the same direction. So you didn't necessarily expand into a whole new uh, workspace or a new niche particularly. It's just more of a, it sounds like you went more from a maintenance and service type company to more of a growth mindset type mm-hmm. company. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. I would say so. I mean, we, we were a, um, a general contractor. We were doing some renovation projects, you know, basically since the late seventies and kind of stayed within that niche in and of itself. And the growth mindset kind of comes about understanding what we, we want to do uh, from a target market standpoint and and then again hiring the right people to to drive toward that. So so now we have you know what, when we were just a general contractor, we were you know doing primarily renovations downtown St. Paul. Sterling had a bigger vision for the company than than doing just that type of work. And and while we still you know do projects like that, we're we're doing a lot more. We we've, we've grown even from 
from where we were even five years ago when we were primarily doing, you know, K through 12 work and some work at, uh, you know, U of M, et cetera. We're, we're now, you know, we've grown into this, this federal market niche, which is, you know, the division that I serve, uh, along with our commercial division that's looking at a lot more higher education throughout the state, amongst other things. What's different with federal work versus non-federal? Well, a, a lot of things, really. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I will just say that, you know, it, it, construction is, is not an easy business to be in, it, no matter what you do. There's, there's just nothing simple about it. Um, and, and I would just say that there, there are give and takes in, as far as the difficulties and challenges that each type of owner, even each project brings to, to complete, you know, the work that we complete. In the commercial world, we have a lot more permitting aspects and and things of that nature that you kind of go through to get a project, you know, going right mm. off right off the bat. In the federal world, you don't really have that. You don't have all any permits because they there is no permitting process typically on on government owned land. Mm. So that part is more difficult on the commercial side. Uh, federal side is a little easier than that. But then the actual construction process is a little different. Uh, mm. the, the personnel required on site for a federal project is typically different. You've got, you know, more than just a superintendent, whereas, you know, most of your commercial projects, you get a superintendent on site. He's running the day-to-day work. you got a project manager, you know, supporting him administratively, et cetera. In the federal world, we might have a quality control manager on site, a, a site safety guy on site, a superintendent on site. So those are kind of what we call the big three on a federal project. And then in addition to that, you have a lot of quality control specialists that are just there for specific scopes of work. You have one person that's called a submittal clerk who's just responsible for submittals. Hmm. You have mechanical quality control specialists and electrical quality control. You could have a staff of 15 people on one project, all employed by you as the prime contractor. So there, there's a lot of different aspects, I guess, that are that are truly different. It, it's mostly the quality control side, I would say, is is a lot more stringent and, and watched on a federal project. Now, I've heard of this David Bacon Act that's mm-hmm. uh, associated with federal work. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, Davis-Bacon Act. Davis-Bacon. Yep, yep. Basically, Davis-Bacon is... Here are the prevailing wages for this area. And, and typically they kind of coincide with, if you're in a union environment, what the scales are for the union guys there. If you're in a non-union environment, it's kind of the prevailing wage for that area, if you will. And they vary greatly and vastly all over the country as to, to what they can be. Okay, so yeah. if the prevailing wage, it sounds like, okay, what, what's the average contractor getting paid in this area? And... That's they term it prevailing. Is that what it is? Yes. Well, it's it's, it's for a trade, not necessarily a contractor, but it's say a, a carpenter mm. makes you know x amount of dollars per hour. Yeah. In the Minnesota area, what is that amount? Yeah. And typically, what you find is you know those areas and those wages they they differ. If you go to somewhere like South Carolina, where it's not really a heavy union environment, and you may have a laborer makes. $12 an hour there. A laborer here is going to make in the realm of 50 to $60 an hour. Okay. And so just, Wow. You know, huge difference. Yeah. Way different. Yeah. And there's also a big cost of living difference too. True. Right. So, you know, you, you have to adjust for whatever the economy is 
for that specific area. So how does this prevailing wage come into play then when you're bidding work? Is it uh, all contractors have to agree to pay that prevailing wage for their their people that are on the job site? Is that kind of how it works then? Yep. Like, so it kind of levels yep. the playing field? Yep, it does. So basically what we have to do is with every pay application, we have to also make sure that we've provided what's called certified payroll for these projects. So we're basically providing to the government, here's everybody that's been on the job, here's the number of hours that they've worked, here's the pay scale that they've received in their paycheck. Um, And then in addition to that, the government also has the right to interview employees to make sure that they are truly being paid what's been certified on the, the certified payroll documents. Why did they do that? You know, you, you compare that to like a private sector, typical commercial project versus federal. Why, why does the federal require that, you know? Well, I, I would just say that it's it's within the Davis-Bacon Act, and I don't know necessarily the details of what okay. the Davis-Bacon Act says, but basically it ensures that you are properly executing work for the government within the boundaries of what we should be paying people to do that type of work. Okay, so I could see like... Uh, you know, a big contractor that's underpaying all their employees going out and winning sure. all the federal contracts because he's underpaying everybody yep. and it's uh, somewhat of a sweat sweatshop uh, modern yeah. day, yeah, right? there you go. Yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. interesting. How'd you get in that, uh, that, that very specific niche of construction, commercial, federal? Here you come. Yeah. How'd that happen? Yeah, so so LS Black basically um, acquired a contract to do a federal project. It was a, a project that was uh, uh, that they proposed on and won and executed and made some money and said, "Hey, there's, this seems like a market that we we could play well in." Mm-hmm. And you know, maybe got another project and then really kind of started putting the focus on, okay, we're we're starting to get into this federal world a little bit more. We need to start bringing in people that that know the federal expertise, right? Bring yeah. in some expertise. That led to uh, the hiring of a few people, and in the federal world, it's kind of small. You know, when I say small, I mean it's a small world. Everybody knows everybody, right? right. Um, a person that knew about Ellis Black and and came to work for us here uh, knew me. Mm. And it wasn't the first time that Oz Black had heard my name. They had heard it through other people's, again, small world type stuff. Right. And they had an opportunity for me here that was uh, basically, you know, come in here and uh, we, we, we know that you're a player in this federal market. We want you to be part of our team and basically made it a very easy decision for me because it's really what I like to do. It's, mm. it's what I've been groomed for my entire career and uh, it's just a perfect opportunity for me. Well, let's talk about that grooming process. I want to hear more <laughs> about uh, Brandon Davis. So yeah, me too. Where's your hometown? Like, yeah. how, what was the childhood like? What were the steps you took to get to uh, this position in your life? Yeah. So your podcast is called Minnesota Made, I believe, yeah. right? Well, I'm yeah. I'm not Minnesota Made. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> let me stop. Let me stop this. Hold on. Yeah. We're we're all done. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm from a, a town called Marion, Illinois. It's in the southern part of Illinois, about 45 minute 
drive north of Paducah, Kentucky to kind of give you some geographics okay. of yeah. how far south that really is. Yeah. We, we don't like to say that we're affiliated with Kentucky, but, you know, nonetheless, we, we do. <laughs> I went to school at Southern Illinois University at Carbondale. They had a construction management program, graduated from there. And then a firm in the St. Louis area had an opportunity for me to go to work for them right out of college. Well, did you uh, grow up doing construction like in high school and stuff? Or what made you choo- yeah. choose construction management? Yeah. So basically, my grandfather owned a heating and air sheet metal business. Oh, yeah. And it had always either been in the shop as a kid, bending sheet metal, or even through college was, you know, installing ductwork and doing construction. And in, in all honesty, right right out of high school, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do because I was being discouraged so much from doing sheet metal work. Okay. And that, I think that happens to everybody, you know. Sure. Everybody gets into something and you, maybe you don't want your kids to do that. You yeah. know, some people do want that, but you know, my family really didn't want me to to be in the sheet metal business. They wanted me to go on and do Become something. Become a doctor else. or a lawyer or yeah, something like yeah, that. Exa- yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and and I will tell you that my first major was pre medicine. Huh? Yeah. Um, and I just really didn't enjoy it. I could make the grades, but it just like I just don't really like this. This is not fun to me. Yeah. Anyway, I actually took about a year off of school at one point just to say, I, you know, I don't know what I want to do, but I'm tired of wasting my money on school Right. that I, I don't know what, if I'm putting it toward the right thing. Good for you. Um, right. So spent a little more time doing construction with the sheet metal business. Yeah, your, did you say that's your grandfather's business? It was my grandfather's business. My uncle's now own it. He's, okay. he's since passed away. My father was never part of that business, but, you know, we're kind of, you know, one mm. one family, if you will. Sure. So you went to college for like a year or two, you did pre-med, yep. and you're like, nah, it ain't for me. I'm going to yep. take some time off, go do some uh, sheet metal work again, yep. and uh, figure out what it is I want to do. Yeah, and in the process of doing that, just kind of realized that I really did have a passion for construction. Yeah. I actually called the architecture school at SIU and uh, talked with them, and they talked about this dual degree system that you could do with architecture and construction management. And so was was doing both degrees at the same time. The architecture classes were kind of canceling some of the construction management, but not vice versa. Mm. Well, they decided to close the program, the construction mm. management program. And they said, hey, if you want that degree as part of your education, you need to go finish that up yeah, and then come, come back. back to architecture. Sure. Well, got the construction management degree and had this job opportunity that quite <laughs> frankly was going to pay me more than I would have made as an architect at a, at a school. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So architecture, you know, at, at least back in the day, you know, it, it, it takes a long time to actually become a licensed architect, mm. like seven years or so. So a lot of times you're a draftsman or something like that for a very long time before you actually oh. get into the money. You know, the money. Yeah. Right. And so in, in everything I was being told is, hey, even by the guys in the architecture program, like, hey, you did, you know, you did a really good thing. You're. Your your destiny from a financial side of things is is much better in yeah, the early sense. period of your career. Yeah. So and you know and frankly the architecture classes that I took really paid dividends as well because when you know both design and construction and you guys were talking about this earlier with yeah what's on the, my card. this designation after yeah, your name yeah. uh, DBIA yeah Design Build Institute of America so basically I've spent. All of my career, um, 
focusing on design build, and that's where the federal niche comes in. A lot of the work in the federal marketplace for many, many years was design build. And the company that I went to work for out of school was pretty much a 100% design build firm. Hmm. So that's how I got into the federal world was, was with that company. And pretty much everything that I worked on from the time I walked in the door was design build for some federal entity, be it the Postal Service or the Army Corps of Engineers or NAFAC, MWR, which is Military Welfare and Recreation. Hmm. Those were all the types of projects that I was working on from the get-go. Hmm. Um, and that expertise just kind of translated well when I moved to Minnesota and, and uh, you yeah. know, ended up here at Ellis Black. Yeah, and you mentioned one of the projects you, I don't know if you're currently working on it right now, is Fort McCoy? Yeah, Fort McCoy in Wisconsin. We've got uh, a handful of projects that we've completed there and, and a couple that we're working on now. So we've, we've completed two what are called dining facilities. You know, and I think a lot of people think that uh, the military term is a mess hall or something, but it's a dining facility. It's a DFAC. That's uh, There's a lot of acronyms in government work. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so DFAC. We are currently working on two uh, large barracks projects there as well right now, kind of modernizing the housing for uh, people that do training at Fort McCoy. Oh, they must appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of attention to um, upgrading the housing program at Fort McCoy so that they can get proper training for their people that that come to train there. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I can speak firsthand on that. You know, I was in the Army Reserve, and uh, I think two years we spent two weeks over at Fort McCoy that I remember. And yeah... (laughs) The barracks, man. It was like flashback to World War One. Yep. <laughs> yep. That's when that's when those barracks were built. They're they're actually not World War maybe World War Two, but they were built in like the nineteen forties and fifties. It was old yeah. school. Okay, so you got these old rickety beds, and if you gotta if you gotta go to the bathroom, it's I don't know a room half of this size, and it's just. Uh, stools, <laughs> no dividers, yeah. no nothing. So here I Fun. am. Taking a dump, all red faced, <laughs> next to my buddy here. <laughs> I'm yeah. dying. Uh, those MREs, man, they That's will it. constipate you. Uh, let me tell you. Makes for some interesting conversations. I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah, it was a, a yeah yeah. It was an experience that you'll never forget. But good job on uh, curing that problem over there. <laughs> yeah. The the, uh, the the barracks. All right. So here you are in Minnesota running the federal side of L.S. Black. And let's talk about L.S. Black a little bit. So take us back to the day when this company started to current. I I know there's been a lot of growth. We mentioned that a little bit already. And that's when uh, Sterling took over the business. So how how did this business start out? What what, what were they doing? I mean, I don't imagine they were building decks and putting new roofs on. What was opening day like? Yeah, so again, Larry Black, the uh, Sterling's dad, yeah. uh, was was focused primarily on some renovation work in the downtown St. Paul area. Yeah. Grew through the years to be about a $10 million company, I think. So his focus initially was commercial uh, renovations. Yep. Yeah, okay. Yep. Primarily right. those things. Sterling's vision, again, a little bit more more grand in nature, yeah. really wanted this uh, this company to be something more than, than that status quo. Implemented a, a system, EOS, I don't know if you guys have read the book Traction, for yeah, those people yeah. listening, oh, yeah. if you know about Traction, yeah. Traction has, has been an enormous uh, thing for our culture and growth. You can see behind you, I can't 
here are the stuff that we've got our core values on the wall here they're lined up and you probably probably find those core values in any office in the building they they are staples to who we are as a culture and that that determines who we hire who we you know, don't fire. hire, who yeah. we fire, how we live our, our day-to-day lives and how we can make decisions and et cetera, et cetera. So that coupled with Sterling's vision in general to grow this company into, you know, something more than it was uh, ever wanted to be right. when, it, when, he, when he didn't own the company just really made all the difference in the world. Now I see Mind the Store yep. as one of your core values. Can yep. you expand a little on that? Yeah, basically be good stewards of all things when it comes to financial aspects. Be that for ourselves, for our clients, in anything and everything that we do. I'll give you an example. If I'm traveling mm-hmm. and I am going to, let's just say Kansas City, when I go to look at hotels and I'm between a you know, just for round figures, a $200 hotel room and a $100 hotel room, I'm going to choose the $100 hotel room even if I have to drive five extra miles. That that 100 bucks is is probably easily overcome by driving the, the five extra miles. And it's so, the right thing to cool. do. Yeah. yeah, it's the right thing to right. do. Right. Yeah, yeah. How about deliver the news? Yeah, so we're pretty honest in um, delivering all things. We just, you know, you can't sugarcoat everything. That's for sure. Sometimes you have to be very direct and and be it good news or bad news or whatever it is. I, I recently heard from uh, from a guy at the Corps of Engineers that stinky fish don't smell better through time. Let's, <laughs> let's get it over with. Just get it over with. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I've heard the same thing. Uh, deliver like the news. Yeah. Yeah. It's All on right. my marker board in my office. Yeah. 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 I've also heard something similar, a little different, but eat the frog. Yeah. Eat the frog first. It's like if you got something you dread doing today, yeah, let's get the shit over with just and do just it. do it. Yeah, yeah. get yeah. it done exactly. So delivery is kind of the same way. Let's let's put everybody uh, on the same page and and good, bad, indifferent, um, hurt feelings or not. Let's the right thing. Let's do the right thing. That's yeah. you know that's it. Well, I think my favorite one out of the five that stood out on me is own it. There is a lack of ownership in, uh, I think, in the general population. Definitely. Uh, uh, Jocko Willink has a book out there called Extreme Ownership, and it's all about you got to recognize your, your, your role in both good and bad and own it and do something about it so it doesn't you know, yeah. reoccur again. For yeah. Sure. Amen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, experience is what one obtains just after needing it. Yeah, there you Ooh. go. Yeah. yeah. I'll let that sink in for a second. Yeah, say that one more time. (laughs) (laughs) Experience is what one obtains just after needing it. Oh, gosh. Got it. If that isn't real. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So where are things headed? I don't You threw some numbers at me, and I don't know if you want to share those or not, like what this company's done since uh, Sterling uh, taking the wheel. But it's impressive, man. And uh, where's this company headed, do you think? World domination? Wow. Well, you know, I mean, sky's the limit for anything that's got the right vision and focus, but, I mean, it has to be controlled, controlled growth, if you will. Definitely. Um, otherwise, you know, I, I've heard before that, that most companies in the construction industry, they, they don't fail because of starvation. They fail because of gluttony. Hmm. Um, growth out of control. Yeah, exactly. So we've got a three-year target and a 10-year target. 
And and that's part of our what's called our vision traction organizer sheet, which is mm-hmm. you know part of the COS system we talked about there. Mm-hmm. And we're on pace with the growth that we've identified there. I will tell you that in the time that Sterling has owned the company, I believe it's grown tenfold. That's and, crazy. And I think what we what we are on pace to do is to again probably double that in the next five years or so. You know, so if we got some uh, listeners out there that are uh, tuning in, what would be a good client or a good reason to reach out to either yourself or LS Black in general? A good reason to? Yeah, yeah. Well, I will tell you that what we have recognized and what we are promoting currently is relationship based. We recognize that everything that's done in construction is about relationships. We don't make a widget. We don't make, you know, cars. We don't have a factory. We don't have a product that anybody just buys off the shelf. That's Mm -hmm. not what we do. When you build a building or a home or anything that you are constructing, there are a lot of people involved Mm -hmm. in that. And, And therefore, the relationship side of things is probably the most important thing in the construction industry. And it's about how well you work together because you're all really trying to accomplish the same thing. The project is really what everybody is working for. It's kind of like of the utmost importance to everybody that's working on it. So all of these people need to be able to work well together and mind the store and deliver the news and own it and defy difficulties and have a team mindset so that at the end of the day, you know, we're all, we've all contributed to its success, the project's success. So we put a great deal of emphasis on partnering up front on all of our projects. And we'll have what's called a partnering session. We'll get everybody in the same room and we'll identify the goals. Because frankly, if you've got five people on an ownership team, whatever that may be, that could be a committee, it could be people from the Army Corps of Engineers at various ranks, et cetera. And we get them in the room and we want to understand what the goals of the project are. Mm-hmm. Because again, the, the project is what's most important. Mm-hmm. And everybody has different goals. And you'll be surprised sometimes you'll find out that, you know, there could be five people on the team and different goals from each person. Yeah, um, It reminds maybe, me of back in school when you'd have a group project in class. And yeah. I, there are some people that didn't want to do any of the work. And then there were people that got straight A's and they want A on that project too. And right. yeah. Yeah. So you're all working for the same thing. So we want to understand what the goals of the project are. We want to establish clear lines of communication as well. And, and we want to emphasize the need for timely, effective communication throughout the life of the project. So establishing those lines of communication are kind of important because everybody plays a different role in what they do. So that's kind of, you know, that's part of the partnering process as well. At the end of the day, we get together and we put together a project charter that we all sign. We take a picture of the project team. We keep that as a reminder, basically, of what we talked about when we, you know, stepped foot on the project. And, you know, here's the goals of the project. Here's what communication looks like. Here's what success looks like. And then we measure it. We want to know, you know, regularly, are we doing what we committed to do as a team through the partnering process, through the life of the project, and and were we successful? We want to understand that because it's important to us that we were successful as a team and that we performed well as a contractor or a design builder or construction manager, 
whatever we did on the project so that, you know, we continue to build new relationships. Yeah. Going back to you personally, this is a question I've heard come up a lot with young people. Pretend you're some, or like you were actually, you know, a high schooler looking to get into being on the executive level in the construction world. Do you recommend a four-year degree or do you remember, it kind of reminds me of the military, like how you come out of school and you get to go to the officer's level versus if you enlist, you know, you've got a lot of grunt work. Sure. Do you think that if you get a a degree in something like construction management, do you have a leg up in that area? So I I think that, first of all, I think it's important to have a degree in in construction and construction management. And I I think that's because there's there's a lot of things about construction on the administrative side Mm -hmm. that you can't necessarily learn in the field doing sheet metal work like I did. Right. You know, you just, you can't, there's a lot of things that I didn't know. I would look at my uncle in the office and I would be, you know, bending sheet metal in the back of the shop thinking about how easy he had it in the office. And boy, was I wrong when I (laughs) got into the administrative side of the business. So I think it's important because there's a a business side to construction that, you know, is, is not easily learned. You're not exposed if, if to it. The, if you're in the field every day, yeah, right? Yeah, you're just not exposed. Yeah, and yeah. I have a great deal of respect for everybody in the field, and I think that there are a lot of very intelligent people capable of doing administrative stuff in the field, but it's that training that you get, you know, either through school or or through, you know, it, hands-on can be done, mm. but it's just a little more dedicated when you go to school for it first. Mm. So it's just, a, in my opinion, a rapid way of training Someone to do just like the military, just like the military. Sure. Now, I will tell you that we have guys here that have two year degrees, Mm -hmm. we have guys here that have four year degrees. We probably even have a few people with master's degrees here, and we have varying levels of types of degrees. We have construction management degrees, we probably have business degrees here. I think our COO, Jim French, has an architecture degree. Mm. I'm not confident. I think Sterling Black, our owner, has a business degree from the University of Notre Dame. So there's varying types of degrees that come with it. But, you know, we all kind of do different things, too. Right. Well, that's interesting. All right. Let's bring this home. Here we go. L.S. Black, located in St. Paul, Minnesota. Their website is lsblack.com. That makes really good sense, man. (laughs) (laughs) Keep it simple, man. (laughs) All right. Brandon Davis, the VP on the federal side. I I enjoyed my time with you, Brandon. I I learned a few things that uh, Davis-Bacon Act, you know, I've I've come across it and uh, I got a better understanding of it now. I love the fact that you guys are using and are successful with that EOS process. I'm a big fan of that book, Traction. And uh, the growth you guys have uh, been able to attain, attain in these last 10 or so years is incredible. And uh, yeah, uh, you guys are doing a great job. You should be proud of yourselves. And uh, it sounds like L.S. Black made a good hire when they brought Brandon Davis on board. I appreciate your time, Brandon. And uh, thank you. thanks for joining us. Yes, thanks, Brandon. Yeah, I enjoyed it as well. Thank you. Welcome. Thanks for listening, guys. That's it, guys. If you know of a Minnesota business leader or a mover and shaker that you feel would be a great guest, please have them go to 
minnesotamadepodcast.com and have them apply for the show. Thanks for listening, Minnesota.